You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. How are you? It is good to be here. Next Sunday is Easter, so I want you to get on the phone. Talk to that person in the cubicle next to you, that kid across the table from you, your neighbor who you rarely talk to. Invite them and bring them to Living Way. Uh, There's a good chance 80% of the people that are invited on Easter weekend come to church. That's pretty good odds for you. So uh, just knock on the door, ask a friend, hey, it's Easter. Why don't you come to church with me? Next week, we're going to lay out the cross and the resurrection uh, in a powerful way. So bring someone who, who needs to know Christ in a very special way. Today is Palm Sunday, and we all know what Palm Sunday is about. It's the day that the Easter bunny gets his eggs ready to, pre- to prepare for Easter, and he begins to stuff his eggs and begins to hard boil and refrigerate his eggs on Palm Sunday. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Actually, Palm Sunday is the last week of Christ's life that we remember before his crucifixion, which is a, a holiday of Good Friday. On Good Friday, Christ laid down his life. We remember that day. And on Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection and his victory over death, hell, and the grave, and our sin. That's, I mean, where would we be without the resurrection? We'd be a sad bunch of people. We'd be a bunch of religious, crazy, uh, you know, people who'd be celebrating in vain. But the resurrection says that what we do is legit. And on Sunday, before his resurrection, he enters into the city with a crowd of shouting people who say, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means God save us. Because at the time, they thought Jesus was coming to overthrow the government. They thought he was coming to establish a kingdom on the earth. So as he entered the city, by this point, he'd already been preaching for about three and a half years. And his popularity was huge. Thousands and thousands of people were showing up to hear him speak. He was doing miracles He was raising people from the dead. They thought, man, this guy's the Messiah and nothing can stop him. So as he entered into Jerusalem on that Sunday before he was actually put to death, they thought he's going to overthrow the Roman government. Hosanna, our God has come to save us. So they were shouting, Hosanna, save us, oh God. Pretty interesting. He didn't come to set up a earthly kingdom. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom. We've been in a series called Upside Down Kingdom, and uh, one of the number one ways that he taught about the kingdom was through parables. So we've been kind of unpacking uh, this week the parables, uh, the last few weeks, the parables of the kingdom found in Matthew 13. We're going to wrap that section up. We're going to continue with the parables in a different way on Resurrection Sunday next week. Um, But let's talk about this. Parables were his number one way, and the number one thing he talked about all the time was the kingdom. But here's the question. What is the kingdom, right? What is the kingdom of God? We hear this talked about, oh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom, the kingdom. But if I were to ask you, like we had a men's breakfast yesterday. It was great. Man, we had a great time yesterday, had a great turnout. We did a a Bible study on how to be a kingdom man, which we're going to continue over the next several months. Men, be a part. It's powerful. It's interesting. It's unique. We're making friends. We're making a difference in each other's lives. But we asked the question, what is the kingdom? Because if we're going to be kingdom men, we need to know what that is. If we're going to be kingdom people, we need to know what it is. Well, the answers were different. So let me lay it out for you. Very simply, this is the kingdom. The kingdom is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ Jesus in a person and in the world. That sounds like a strange definition, but basically... The kingdom of God spans the entirety of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of the kingdom of God. And it is completely fleshed out by Jesus. Not only in his words, but in his life. It's the kingdom. It is all about what is happening now and what will happen in the future when Jesus is acknowledged as king by everyone, but he's still king even now. So the kingdom is this. It is God's redemptive plan in the heart of a person and in the world. For example, when when we are to pray this, we are to cry out. Jesus said to pray. When you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We've heard that, which means, our Father, you are holy. That's what it means. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of the Lord's prayer. Basically, he's saying, God, 
let your redemptive plan be established and work in my life on this planet. He also said in Matthew 6, he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things, the things that we worry about, they'll take care of themselves. Basically, this idea of the kingdom, he's saying, instead of worrying about the cares of this world, instead submit to the redemptive rule of God every day of your life in this life, looking forward to the future redemptive life. Now, remember, the kingdom has come and the kingdom has yet to come. It is here in the hearts of a believer who walks in the will of God. That's the kingdom established on the earth. But one day, Christ will return to establish the kingdom forever. The parables unwrap this. That's the story of the parables. This kingdom. Now, let's kind of review kind of where we've been. In Matthew 13, he just had a confrontation in Matthew 12 with these Pharisees, and they basically said, Jesus, you're over the devil. And he said, funny, because you're going to go there and meet him one day. Uh, He said, you're all going to hell. Because you say, I'm of the devil. Well, you are, and you're, there's no hope for you. It, pretty powerful. Matthew 12 talks about what's known as the unforgivable sin. Basically, that's when you, uh, have, when God's finished with you. We don't know when that is for you. Hopefully, it's never. But for them, it was that moment. God said, the Holy Spirit's done with you. You're going to hell. And with that, he basically starts doing a series of parables. So those parables, the first parable, he talks about how there will some, there'll be people who just don't get the kingdom. He said there will be believers and non-believers. He says seeds will be cast and some people just won't get it. Some of you in this room just will not get the message today. Some of you in this room will go to church your whole life and will be raised in a Christian family and have a, a Christian spouse or children and they just will never understand the kingdom. Jesus gave us that hard reality, that first parable of Matthew 13, parable of the sower. And then he says that there is the second parable, that there's the kingdom people, and then that there are evil people, and that they will continue to grow, and both will have an influence on this world until the farmer comes, Christ comes, to harvest the field. And then he says, and this is where we were last week in parable three and four, he says the kingdom will grow strong even though the enemy, that's the devil, will never stop attempting to corrupt it and distract it. So we've got our life planned out for us in uh, that life is going to be hard. If you're a believer, know that the enemy will come at you. Now, after that, he basically has a break and he goes inside and he begins to sit down with his disciples and he begins to talk to them. And we're going to go through the last part of Matthew 13 with a few parables today, but they're parables that he doesn't explain. So a lot of people have different perspectives on what they mean. Uh, I'm going to go with what I feel like they mean and a lot of scholars and uh, most Bible people believe. So let's kind of unpack in Matthew 13, very, very short, short, like two sentence parables. Let's break this down. Here's the parable of the treasure, parable of the treasure. Matthew 13, 44 says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when a man found it. Now, Check this out. The word found it means he stumbled upon it. The interesting thing here is that here's a picture of a man who just apparently just finds a treasure. But as we know through scripture, we're going to find out here is that you think that he just stumbled onto it, but actually God brought him to it. We're going to find out. And, and I want you to know this here. Some of you think you stumbled in here today, that you just happened to try us out today, or that a friend dragged you here today, or that you've been coming for a while because you like the music or you think it's interesting, and you just think that you made the decision and that you found us. But let me tell you something. You didn't get here. You didn't stumble in here. God brought you here. And I want you to write this down. This is the first thing I want you to know about this parable. What you thought was an accident, God did on purpose. You see, our God is in control. He's sovereign. And a lot of us, we think, well, I made the decision to know Christ. I found Christ. I got my butt out of bed and got here this morning. Yes, you did. But God moved on you and he brought you here. It reminds me of of a guy named Saul. He was a guy who hated Christians, 
who made it his life goal to put him in jail, and he killed some of them, was responsible for the death and the imprisonment of some of them, and he was on his way to a city named Damascus where he was going to arrest more Christians. Well, Jesus showed up, knocks him off his horse, struck him blind, and said, why are you persecuting me? And I've called you to do a great work for me. He stumbles, he stumbles into town. He meets this Christian who prays for him. Scales come off of his eyes. He can see. He gives his life to Christ. He's baptized. Interesting thing here. What Paul thought, well, actually, we know better. Some of you might think that, that somehow Paul found God. No, God found Paul. Some of you think that maybe Paul just kind of became a Christian. No, God said, I want you. And what you think might be an accident is God doing something on purpose. Look through your life. What brought you to this moment? Some of you have had a life running from God. And that you finally made the decision, some of you as an adult, to try to look to God, to know God. And you think somehow your, your decision to do this, yes, but the only reason that you want to is because God wants you to. And the only reason you can say yes is because God said say yes. And uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 refers to his relationship to Jesus as a great treasure. I want you to know this. You think God found you. I mean, uh, you think you found God, but God found you. And I love how it says this. This is important. It says when a man found it, actually God brought him there. Imagine being the hero of this story. Jesus, go back. Jesus is telling the story. He says, I want to tell you a story about a guy who found a treasure. Now imagine you're going, hmm, I'd like to find some treasure, right? If you're the listener going, hmm, I wonder what it was. I wonder how much it was. I wonder what he, what he found. Imagine stumbling upon gold in a field for just a second. Imagine finding something more valuable than you ever imagined in your entire life. Imagine finding the lottery ticket for the $20 million jackpot. I'm not supporting the lottery just by saying that illustration, okay? So don't go out and buy the lottery. God told me through Pastor Ted to go buy a lottery ticket. I'm not saying that. But imagine you found the winning lottery ticket, and it has a $20 million payout. What would you do to secure that ticket? You rip it? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Give it. Right here. Just give it over to me. Don't rip it. Now, you might think, now, imagine that you found a house. Maybe you're house hunting, and you find in a closet the people moved out, they abandoned the house, but they somehow dropped their winning lottery ticket in the, in the attic, and you're going through the attic. You find the attic, and you're inspecting the house before you buy it, and the price is ridiculous on the house. You know it's overpriced, but you're doing like what my wife used to do, is you just go house shopping for houses you're never going to buy, right? We would sometimes go to these massive mansions and just walk through them just for fun. Yeah, does it have a pool? Let's go look at the pool, right? Uh we're, we're never going to buy this house. This is like multi-million dollar homes, all right? But say you found a $20 million lottery ticket in the house. What would you do? I, would, I, I wouldn't sneak it. Uh, I wouldn't be able to sneak it. But let's just imagine maybe you couldn't get it out of the house and sneak it, Austin. Here's what I might do. I might actually sell everything that I have and scrounge around to get every single bit of money I can to buy that house because I know the reward is great. Let me illustrate it like this. Anybody have $3 I can use for an illustration that I will keep? Let's do $5. Give me $5 that I will keep. How about $10? Anybody give me $10 that you will let me keep for an illustration? Let's go back to 5 How about if you give me a 5 and I give you a 20. Who will give me $5 for a $20 bill? First person up here will get a $20 bill for a $5 bill. You must have it in hand. Not I don't want it out of your wallet. No, hey, he doesn't. I don't have it yet, Byron. Here, in my hand. Was this yours? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Oh, wait a minute. I got two 20s here. Where'd that come from? Come out of yours? No, it fell out of the, somebody else's wallet. 
I've got another 20. Who will give me another five? <laughs> I guess that was your 20. All right, that's yours to keep. I get a five. Pretty, yeah, that's yours. You, you get to keep it. Do I get to keep this? All right, that's yours. Now, I've got to ask, uh, Byron, sorry. Uh, Gus, you uh, got you pretty got a good, pretty good sweet deal, right? Was it worth giving me $5 to get $20 back? Maybe. Austin, you don't know what you're talking about today. I'll be honest with you, man. Leave the lottery ticket. Hey, there's some keys, uh, Gus. You might want to get those later on. Um, Yeah, I think you're totally misguided today. (laughs) I think it was absolutely worth it. Now, here's the illustration. Check this out. He says he saw this. He found this treasure. And then he says he hid it again and then enjoyed. He went and sold all that he had, and he bought the field. He sold everything that he had. He gave what little he had to receive something that he knew was much more valuable than everything he had. I want you to write this down. This is an important thing about today's two two parables right here is this. Write this down. Is that the kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything everything for. It's worth losing everything for. In a day where valuables could not be hidden in a bank, it could not be put in a safety deposit box, it was pretty common that people would often bury their treasures or their valuables on their property or in their land or in a field. Now, the mystery of this story is that this treasure was completely forgotten. The owner was unknown until a stranger happened to come upon this treasure. Now, in this story, he does what all of us would do if you found gold on property. You might, well, do whatever it took to possess it. So with joy, with joy, he let go of everything that he had because he found something worth letting everything go for. And I want you to hear me on this. This parable is so interesting. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is found, that you will get rid of everything to possess. This is not about buying salvation because you cannot do that. It's only through the grace of Jesus. This is about the value of the kingdom. And Christ is basically saying the kingdom is worth losing everything for. The kingdom of God is worth getting rid of everything for. Think this through for a minute. Maybe some of you, like Paul, know what it's like. Jesus found you when you least expected it and your eyes were open to Jesus and to your own sin and depravity. And all you could do was respond with Jesus, take everything that I have. Some of you, you have walked a road that has been so painful, that has been so difficult, that has, for some of you, been so filled with selfishness and rage that when you found the life and the hope and the peace and the future, and the forgiveness and the grace of God, you are willing to let go of everything in your life to follow and possess this relationship with Jesus. Paul, though he had everything at the time that you could imagine, he often referred to himself as the least of these and the chief of of sinners, the greatest of all sinners. He realized how poor he was without Jesus. This is what he says in Philippians 3. He just said that he had position, prestige, popularity, and wealth. And then he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, What more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now, that word garbage is one of the most controversial words in the Bible because the word's not really garbage. For some, the translation says rubbish. But more accurately, it is the word dung, which means poo. He says, everything that I've ever had, I consider as a pile of dung. He says, it's worth nothing. It is filthy waste to me in comparison to everything I've gained in Christ. He says, it's all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from doing good things or following the Bible perfectly, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, do you see the worth? Do you see the value of losing everything you've ever wanted in your life for this treasure? This is the story of the great treasure. He says, are you willing? He says, others may not understand what you have. Others may think you are crazy. Others may never get why you gave up this to give your life to Christ. That party, that job, that experience, that relationship, they may never understand, they may not see what you see, but you know it was worth letting go of everything to know Christ. And then he goes on, he says, it's just like this other parable about the parable of the pearl. He says this, when it, by the way, pearls were one of the greatest treasures at that time. It was very hard to find, extremely rare at the time. He says again, that ties to the previous parable. Same story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, check this out, a merchant looking for a pearl. Now, here's the deal. The first one was a guy who supposedly stumbled upon the treasure. And that represents some of you who God met when you least expected it. When you weren't looking for God, God was looking for you. And you just happened to come across someone who gave you life and you received Christ. That's the first person. Now, this is the merchant looking for treasure. There are a whole vast number of people just looking for answers in life, looking for something valuable to invest their life in. This is a great picture. While the first person was not looking, but discovers this is the one that is looking, a well-off merchant, someone looking for something valuable in life. This person believes there is something out there worth looking for. It's the seeker. Is that you? Maybe you're here and you're looking for something. Maybe you're looking for answers. Maybe you're looking for hope. Maybe you're looking for, maybe this is the last chance that you were given God before you decided to throw in the towel with your faith, with God, or maybe even with your life. And you're looking today. You're like that merchant looking for something, anything valuable that he can invest his life in. And I want you to write this down. This is important. This is the parable of this pearl, and that is never give up looking for the truth. Never give up looking for the truth. Never, ever some of you, you've been looking for a long time. Maybe since you were a child, you've been looking for ways to explain why you had so much pain and suffering as a kid. You've been looking your whole life as to answers why you were abused, why your own dad would do that, why your own mom would treat you like that, why your boss would fire you. You've been looking for a long time as to why your kids would respond that way to love that you've given them. You are trying to find answers to life. God, where have you been? Some of you are right there as that merchant looking for the pearl. Some of you, you've just started on this journey because you've recently experienced pain and you're looking for truth in a current struggle, I want to tell you something. If you honestly, with all of your heart, seek God, you will find him. Jeremiah tells us this in 29, 13. He says, you will seek me. This is God talking. And you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus echoes the same thing in Matthew. He says in seven, uh, chapter 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for." Everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Don't give up on seeking the truth. Don't throw in the towel. The Holy Spirit has brought you, I believe, has brought you here today so that you might find what you've been looking for. Look what happens, Matthew 13. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. I love this. When he found he found what he was looking for. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Let me illustrate. I've got some uh, pearls. My wife showed me last night some pearls that came from her mamita. And um, the, um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, my wife is, yo, Mexican baby. No, I'm just kidding. She's actually got a Hispanic heritage. Her family's from Mexico. And uh, these are these are quite special. These were her her uh, grandmother's. The, the strand is broken, so she keeps them in a Ziploc bag. And 
I was looking on the internet of what the value of something like this might be, and it, it ranged anywhere, depending on the side, from anywhere from $5,000 to $10,000. We've never had them appraised. We have no idea. Um, the strand is broken. They're, they're, they're quite beautiful. They're very, very valuable. Here, let, let me show you an illustration. Um, oh, man. I'm just kidding. They're not the real pearls. Uh, <laughs> The real pearls. She did show me the pearls last night. Uh, they're all real pearls, and we do have them. Um, watch your step down here. Uh, let's just say we got a pearl here. There's a the possibility that that this one pearl, if this were real, could be well anywhere from ten to twenty to thirty thousand dollars, depending on the uh, the purity and the depth of its uh, of the, of obviously of its size and where it came from. Pearls are of great value. Here's the story: A guy found one pearl, a merchant who was a pearl merchant. So he knew the value of things, but he found this one. He found what he was looking for, and he sold everything to get this one. And this kind of story reminds us of the same idea of the last parable, is that the kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for. I want you to hear this out because this is key. Guys, Jesus is better than a best friend. This world has to offer. He is better than the greatest paycheck, the greatest job, the greatest health, the greatest wealth. Jesus is better than a boyfriend. He is better than a girlfriend. He is greater than your family. Jesus is more valuable than your husband, than your wife. Jesus is more valuable than your children. He is better than all of them put together. Jesus is better than the best things this world has to offer. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to trade everything that you treasure in this life, everything that you value in this world, when you find Jesus, his true value of what he is and what he's done and what he gives us, when you find it with joy, you have no problems, have no problems with abandoning it all for the sake of Christ. Now, they lived in a culture where if you became a Christian, you were literally abandoned from your family. You were very much persecuted and often ostracized. That means you had no more parents if you gave your life to Christ in that culture. And around the world, that still happens. There are people in the Middle East right now that if they gave their life to Christ, they would have their own family killing their other family members. Jesus says, Is the kingdom worth losing everything for? He says it is. The kingdom of God is like one who found the perfect pearl and got rid of everything just to hold it, just to have it. Are you willing to trade all that you have to get the kingdom of heaven? Now, I know the joy. This is a trade-off that I'm happy to give. I love my wife. I love my children. I love Jesus more. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my wife except abandon and deny Jesus Christ. As much as I love my children and want them to be with me for the rest of my life and be with my wife who I adore more than any of you here, I would say, I'm sorry, but Jesus is first. Jesus is one. Now, the Apostle Paul makes it clear we're not to ever leave our lost family. We're not to ever abandon them or get divorced from a husband or wife who's not a Christian. We are to remain in their life so that we might be a life giver to them. But he said, be ready that there might be some who abandon you because you are living for Christ. Jesus at this point is only talking to his disciples. The crowds are gone. These are men and women that he is talking to that would lose everything, even their lives. And I wonder, what was it that Stephen knew when he was stoned to death in Acts? I wonder what it was when James, the brother of Jesus, had his head cut off in jail because he would not denounce Christ. I wonder what it was that gave Peter the boldness to allow himself to be crucified upside down and die for Jesus. I wonder what it was that Paul knew that caused him to allow himself to be beheaded in a Roman prison before he died. 
what was it? What is it that millions have known and still do that allows them to endure persecution, to face death, to trade this world and stand strong in the face of opposition? What is it? What do they treasure? I'll tell you, it's Jesus the King. He is greater than a pearl. He is greater than the greatest treasure this world has to offer. The parables teach us this. I want you to write this down, that we come to the kingdom because Jesus is the great reward. And this is one of those difficult questions. Jesus is better than the best things that this world has to offer. Philippians, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. He says, I don't even understand how great it is. I don't understand everything about how awesome Jesus is. I haven't attained it. But one thing I know, one thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He says, man, I know one thing. I'm willing to get rid of everything in my life. Every past, every situation, even every relationship, if necessary, to press forward. He says, I know one thing I'm willing to let go of everything behind me, pressing forward to the goal, to win the prize, that treasure for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus is worth letting go of all things in order to hold and take hold of him as the one thing. I've got a question for you here, and I've asked this before, but I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what heaven is for you for a second. What's heaven for you? Maybe it's seeing your father, your mother, a loved one who passed on before you, and you can't wait to get to heaven to see them if they are Christians, and you know that's where they are. Think about what heaven might be. It might be after you spend time with people you love. It might be a mansion. It might be a flying around. You know, it might be doing wonderful things, seeing dynamic, beautiful things of heaven. Heaven is beyond what we could ever imagine or think. This life, anything that's good here is a snapshot, just a taste of how glorious and wonderful heaven is. Now, I want you to imagine heaven. I want you to put yourself there. And would you still want to go there if Jesus isn't there? And I think, honestly, a lot of us would say, yeah, I'd, I'd I think I would kind of want to go there still because I get to see my family. I get to have this beautiful place. I get to, you know, live life. I get no more weeping, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. Yeah, heaven uh, sucks that Jesus is there, but yeah, I would go. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of us live because that's heaven to a lot of us. It's all the good stuff and oh good, Jesus is there too. Now flip it for a second. Would you go to heaven? Would you want to? Would you cry out? Would you live this walk in Jesus? Would you die to everything you've ever known? Abandon all those things and dreams of your life in order to live the dream of Christ in you? Would you get rid of all and go to heaven and only have Jesus as your only reward? Would you still want to go to heaven if Jesus was the only thing there? No family, no flying, no mountains, no trees, no skiing, whatever it is, no mansion, just Jesus. Would you still want to go? Sadly, I think a lot of us, the answer is no. I think it reveals a lot about our heart. It says that our treasure is actually in the stuff of this world that we hope is there. The parables remind us that the reward, this great treasure, it's just Jesus. Now, there are benefits to knowing Christ. There are are great blessings, and heaven will be great for those that are His and get to go. But I want to tell you something. The reward that we live and we die and we denounce everything in this life for is not the good things of heaven. It's for Christ alone. He is the reward in which we are to lay down everything. These two parables, in a way, tell us that also Jesus sees you as a treasure and how he gave everything that he had so that he might purchase you and hide you in his heart. So then he he lays it out. He just says, the kingdom of God is about denying it all and living for me. And then he gives this parable. It's called the parable of the net. Let's take a look at it. He continues. He says this, verse 47. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake 
and caught all kinds of fish. Now, these were known as drag nets. That means what they would do is they would have a giant net. They would throw it out into the water. All the bottom of the half of the net would be weighted. The top half of the net would be lined with boards. And then they would pour, I mean, pull this net all the way to shore, basically producing a giant net to drag and capture everything that was in the net. When they got to shore, they would pick through and throw out all the bad, tiny, sick, or dead things, and then they would keep all the good fish. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that dragnet that catches a whole bunch of fish. And then he says, he says, when it's full, the fishermen pull it to the shore. Basket, uh, they pull it to the shore. Then they sat down and they collect the good fish in the baskets and they throw the bat away. Actually, some of the guys he was talking to were to fishermen. They knew exactly what he was talking about. He says, that thing that you used to do for a living, that's like the kingdom. And he says this, he says, verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The harsh reality and the mystery of the kingdom is this. I want you to write this down. Some are in the nut, uh, some are in the net, but not in the kingdom. Some of you are here today for a variety of reasons. The net catches a lot of people. A lot of people are swept up in the emotion and swept up in the energy. They're swept up in the activity. They're swept up in the moment and the energy and the sway of the net, but they're not real. They're not in the kingdom. They're still dead fish. And Jesus is reminding us that some of the people that they will cast a net for aren't truly one of them. And as much as I would love to believe that every single person in this room is going to go to the kingdom of heaven with me and that we will all celebrate eternity together, as much as I would love for that to be the case, there are some of you that are dead fish in here. You're sick fish and you will be tossed out the harvest at the end of the age when Christ returns. This is the reality that the parables bring us, that harsh mystery reality that there is a great judgment coming where he will weed out those that are his and those that are not, that there will be a kingdom of heaven, an eternal righteous kingdom, and there will be an eternal judgment awaiting as well. The good and the bad at the shore will be divided. Jesus says that on that day, many will tell them, but I thought I was in the net. This is what he says in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, but Lord, on that day, uh, they'll say to me on that day, but Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we drive out demons and, and in your name perform miracles? God, didn't we do good things? Didn't we do miraculous things? God, we were in the net. We were with the church from day one. God, I was there every Sunday. I was involved. But then he will say to them plainly, he says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, Matthew 13 reminds us, he says, the angels will come, separate the wicked from the righteous, throw them into a blazing furnace where they would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of the many references that Jesus has to a very real literal place called hell. The parables are the story of the kingdom, but every parable is most often also the story of judgment. Heaven is awesome. And the kingdom is real and judgment is real as well. He says this in Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus, one of the many places he talks about hell, he says, then he will say to those on the left, this is after he's divided them, he'll say, depart from me. You who are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. By the way, the devil's not there right now sitting on a throne. He's on the earth seeking whom he may devour. And one day that will be his place where he will be sent and he will be judged. Hell was created for him to experience pain and suffering, not for us, but those of us in sin, we will be with him. He says, I will say, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me and I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. 
And they'll say, Lord, when, we did, when did we do this? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing of clothes or sick or in prison? God, when did we not help you? And he says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these and whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. He says, there are some of you that think you are all together, but true relationship with him produces a love and a care for this hurting world. And he says, I will divide you. And then he will say, then they will go away to eternal punishment. Not temporary, two or three weeks, and then they get a break, and then they get to go to heaven. Not a cease to exist like Jehovah's Witnesses will tell us, but it says eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is a parable similar to the wheat in the weeds that we read last week. Matthew 13, 51, he says, so guys, do you understand this? Do you understand these things? Jesus asked them, and I want to ask you that question today. Do you understand this today? Do you get this today? I'm completely aware that there's a possibility that some of you might leave here today and not understand and not even want this because that's the parable of the sower. And I'm fully aware that some of you are not willing to give everything you have up for the kingdom. It's the parable of the treasure and the pearl. And I know that many of you are in this room being swept up by emotions. I don't want to go to hell. And you're in the net, but you're truly not a living fish because you're only swept up in the emotion of the fear. It's the parable of the net. He says this. He says, guys, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? Yes, they replied. Okay, then, he says, well, I have one more for you. It's one sentence. He says this, Matthew 13, verse 52, I'll call it the parable of the homeowner. He says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, that means anyone who hears and understands what I've been telling you, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom, new treasures as well as old. Now that's weird. That's a weird verse. And I want you to write this down. Basically, this is what he says. If you understand this, don't just treasure the kingdom, but teach it. All of it. He says this. If you understand what I am saying, you are to be a teacher. If you understand the words and the depth, the reality, the urgency and the value of the pearl and the kingdom and the treasure and the reality of eternal life and eternal punishment, punishment, are you aware of all of this? And we say yes. Then he says, guess what? You are to teach it. And then he says, just as someone who has a house has a storeroom, someone who brings out things out of storage to give to people who are in need. He says, you bring out the old and the new. That means there are things that have been there for a while and things that are brand new and you bring them out, they all have value. He says this, the storeroom is basically God's word. And he says, when you teach it, you are to teach all of it. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the value of the new that I'm giving you today. And I want you to hear this out. He says, if you understand this, then you are responsible to share it with others, the treasure of the kingdom is both the old covenant and the new covenant. The kingdom of heaven is found throughout scripture. The new brings light to the old. Jesus fulfills it. I've got some passages there that talk about how God's word is valued and treasured in, in the scripture and how it is greater than gold and fine jewels. And then I've got some verses there that says where Jesus says, I fulfill the old covenant. You want to, some of you guys, you read the old testament, you don't get it. Let's be honest, you read through Genesis, like, yeah, that's a bunch of weird stories, but I get some of the stories because it's a story. All of a sudden, you get to Exodus, and you get to Leviticus, oh, and you're like, I'm done reading the Bible. Some of you, you don't get past Leviticus because this is one of the weirdest books in the Bible, I'm going to tell you. It's bloody, it's violent, it's weird, it's very detailed about a bunch of ceremonial stuff, and you're like, I don't get it. So you never make it through the Old Testament. You might make it through Genesis. Exodus wears you out. And then all of a sudden, you might try a prophet, but you don't get it. I mean, it's like, is that for me? Is that for them? I don't, I don't know. What's... Here's the deal. You want to understand the Old Testament? You understand the New. Because the Old Testament is people crying out for Jesus. The New Testament is, I have come. So if you know the life, if you haven't started reading your Bible yet, I want to encourage you, start with the New Testament. Read through the New Testament. And then read the Old Testament 
and the Old Testament will come alive. Because you'll see, that's about Jesus. That's a story. Every book, every chapter, every story, everything in the Old Testament is a sign, is a picture, is a point, is an image of Jesus. He says, you know what? Teach it all. Teach it all. It screams Jesus in every book. Jesus established the kingdom through his death on a cross to satisfy the payment for our sins and reconcile us back to God. His resurrection proved it. We celebrate that next week. And he will return again to usher in the kingdom of God. This is what we teach. This is what we proclaim. This is our message. Jesus tells them, don't just treasure the good news. Tell the good news. I want to encourage you guys. There's basically two challenges today. Two challenges, and that is, number one, see the value of the kingdom and joyfully everything to receive it. And the challenge, two, is embrace the value of the kingdom and boldly and urgently spread the good news of it. Some of you, it's time to finally see the value of the found pearl, to see the value of Christ, to see that Jesus is greater than that lifestyle that you're battling, that Jesus is greater. It's time to leave and let go of your sin. It's time to let go of your guilt and to leave behind your shame, to leave behind those empty pleasures, those pursuits and those passions, to see in Christ a king worth losing everything for. Do you really believe that he is worth everything in your life? Because until you do, you're never truly part of the kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is like the one who does that, who leaves everything. Some of you, you've got 90% heart for God. So you've got 99.9% heart for God, but that 1% will keep you from the kingdom. I want everything, he says. The kingdom is for those that leave everything to possess the one thing. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is that pearl. For some of you, I want you to know the world is dying for truth. They're dying for hope. They're dying for the truth of the kingdom. The world is in need of the hope of the kingdom. The world is crying out for the Redeemer to rescue them from their shame. The world needs to know and experience the love of the kingdom in Christ. And we do our church, we clock in, we punch the, the, the card, we put our sticker on our, on our page, we check it off our list, we go to lunch, we go back to work on Monday, we get beat down all week, we might have a small group and feel a little bit better, and then we drag in on Sunday morning hoping to get pumped back up again. The kingdom is not that. That is not how we were meant to live The kingdom is walking in the joy and the life and the hope of God despite the tragedy and the trials and the torments of this life and knowing that we have a pearl, we have a gift, we have a treasure and I will gladly leave it all behind to let you know this treasure. See, the neat thing about the treasure, it's not one that we don't share. It's not a treasure. It's mine, my precious. (laughs) The kingdom is not the ring from Lord of the Rings. Actually, in Lord of the Rings, the ring represents sin and selfishness, which will ultimately destroy you and turn you against yourself. The kingdom is the pearl in which we share. This Saturday, we're going to do that at Brandon Walk, and I'm going to invite you guys to be a part of that. So will you tell them, will you live the kingdom? Ironically, in the few verses that follow in chapter 13, Jesus goes back home to where he lives only to be rejected and mocked by everyone that knew him as a kid growing up. I want to end with this one passage and I want to pray for you. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this. If you are a believer, this is a verse for you. If you are not a Christian today, I want you to think about your life for a moment while I read this verse. And I want you to think about if your life is worth letting go so that you might attain the greatest treasure this world, the greatest treasure this world has and even beyond this this world. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy. It says verse 12 of chapter 6. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's the treasure. 
and about which you've made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He was blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to know, if you are a believer, stand strong. The king, the treasure is coming. And if you are not a Christian, repent. Turn from yourself. Turn to him. Humbly lay down your life for the king is coming. Let's pray. Father, help us to stand strong and tell the world. Lord, I will treasure you above all things. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't understand the value of the pearl, the value of the treasure, the gift that you are to us, Lord, the gift from God that you are from us to redeem our life, Lord, I pray that they would at this moment now understand and embrace that treasure and that gift. In your own words, right where you are, would you examine your heart? Ask yourself, have I laid down it all for the kingdom? Am I willing? Am I prepared? Father, help us to let go of it all for you. God, to live for you. Father, that's the kingdom. The kingdom is offensive to many, but Lord, it is life to those that receive it. Would you right where you are just say, Jesus, here's my life. Forgive me of my sin. Take everything that I have. God, you found me. And I found you. I was looking and you found me. Some of you, you weren't looking and God found you today. God, forgive me of my sin. Here's my life. Take it all, everything that I have, so that I might know you. So on that great day, Lord, at the harvest, Father, I will be found one of those fish that enters into the joy of the Lord. Father, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness that cleanses us and gives us a chance to start. Fill us with your spirit and help us to walk out the kingdom of God today and forever. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.